celebration. Actually, Krishna's always here. As he says in Bhagavad Gita, Maya, Tatamidam, Sarabham, I pervade this entire world, the universe, Maya, Tatamidam, Sarabham, Jagadavyakta Murti, my unmanifest form. So in the Avyakta Murti, the unmanifested form becomes Vyakta, becomes manifest, then we call it the other God appearance of the Lord. So, uh, is there a particular section that we're going to read? What do you want, Marshall? Um, yesterday I spoke from the Advent. So oh, this is like Lord Chaitanya's Sanyasa. You know, oh, you want me to speak from the Advent? Yes, I'd love that for you. Got a good thing going. The Advent of Lord Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This is. Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita by Krishna Kaviraj Goswami, in this edition which Prabhupada presented to us. Adi Leela, or the first pastimes, chapter 13, the advent of Lord Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So we begin at the beginning of this chapter. Begin at this chapter. Beginning of the chapter. Okay. Translation. I wish the grace of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu by whose mercy even one who has fallen can describe the Lord's pastimes. This is a very encouraging verse, actually. Because it's really, this verse really is the, um, the essence of the spirit of the Sankirtan movement. So I'm going to read that again. Well, first of all, we draw up this purport. To describe Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu or Lord Sri Krishna, one needs supernatural power. Supernatural power. Which is the grace and mercy of the Lord. With this grace and mercy, one, without this grace and mercy, one cannot compose transcendental literature. By dint of the Lord's grace, however, even one unfit for a literary career can describe wonderful transcendental topics. Only one who is empowered can describe Krishna. Krishna Shakti Vinana Hitar Pravartan. That's what Antilila 711. Unless endowed with the Lord's mercy, one cannot teach the Lord's name, fame, quality form, entourage, and so on. It should be concluded, therefore, that uh, the description of Chaitanya Charitamrita by Krishna Kaviraj Goswami manifests specific mercy bestowed upon the author, although he thought of himself as most fallen. We should not, we should not consider him fallen simply because he describes himself as such. Rather, anyone able to compose such Transcendental literature is our esteemed master. Jaya Jaya Sri Krishna Chaitanya Gauda Chandra Jaya Deita Chandra Jaya Jaya Nityananda All glories to Sri Krishna Chaitanya Mahaprabhu All glories to Vaita Chandra All glories to Lord Nityananda Prabhu Jaya Jaya Gadadhara Jaya Srinivas Jaya Mukunda Vasudeva Jaya Haridas All glories to Gadadhara Prabhu, all glories to Srinivas Acharya Prabhu, all glories to Mukunda Prabhu and Vasudeva Prabhu, all glories to Haridas. Thakur, suddenly Jaya Damodara Sarupa Jaya Murari Bhukta Esab Chandrodai all glories to Shukdamadara Mari Gupta, all these brilliant moons. 
uh, and together dissipated the darkness of this material world. So that first verse we read, Sapraseedatu, is the verb, imperative, third person, singular, of the uh, same as the word prasadam, that there's a word prasadam, mercy or grace. So to say, be gracious or be merciful, prasidatu. Here saying, let the Lord, prasidatu Chaitanya Deva, let Chaitanya Deva be merciful. Chaitanya Deva, Chaitanya was God. So prasidatu Chaitanya Deva, jasya prasadata, by whose mercy, let Chaitanya Deva be merciful, because by his mercy, Talila Varnane Yogya Sadyak Syada Dhamopyayam. Even this lowest person, here Krishnas, of course, is humbly referring to himself. He was not the lowest, but by any means, he's actually quite high. But still, he shows this uh, profound Vaishnava humility. So, let Chaitanya Dei be merciful, Chaitanya by whose mercy, even this low person, Satyaksya, can immediately become, or how do feeling better? You should sit on a cushion so you don't get cold. So, Talila Varnane Yogya Sadyaksyada Damopyayam. By whose mercy, even this low person, referring to himself humbly, immediately or suddenly, Sadya, at once, at once, Syad can be Yogya, qualified. Qualified. Uh, able, Prabhupada translates it. Talila Varnane, in the description of his pastimes. In the description of his, keep it in English. In the description of his pastimes, even an Adhama. So, uh, Talila Varnane. Varna, of course, uh, interesting. The word, the verb, Sanskrit verb varn, uh, means to describe also the color. Varna means color and also means. In a sense, like you color something by describing it, fill in, you know, fill in the details, as we say. And so, this word is used in the famous prophetic. This word is used in the famous prophetic verse from the eleventh chapter of the Bhagavatam, Krishna Varna Tusha Krishna. It's actually a pun. The fact that this word Varna means color or also description uh, lent itself to a pun in the Bhagavatam. Actually, the, the Vedic literature and, and is full of jokes and humor, but we sometimes we all we take it all very seriously. But it's, it's really full of fun. So, here, Krishna Varnam, uh, because Krishna means dark, so you could, so Krishna Varnam means either Krishna color, or uh, Krishna Varnam, uh, describing Krishna. So it's sort of a pun, because then, Tusha, Krishna Varan Twisha Krishna. Twish in Sanskrit means complexion. And so Twisha means by complexion, he's a Krishna. He's not dark because Krishna's dark, but Krishna appeared as Chaitanya is golden, which is the color of Radharani. And so Krishna Varnam Twisha a Krishna. Anyway, it's sort of a play on words. Krishna Varnam Twisha Krishna. And yet he's always chanting Krishna. He's always varning Krishna. He's always describing Krishna, glorifying Krishna. Krishna varnam tusha krishnam sangopangastra parshadam. Parshadam means sort of sidekick or um, companion. Because parshadam means a side. So it's like you have English word sidekick, like your buddy. So parshva, parshadam. And... Um, <clears throat> Sangopangastra. Uh, Krishna, when he appeared, was at times extremely violent. Because, after all, he says in the Bhagavad Gita that I come to 
uh, <coughs> I come to remove the demons, take them out of the game. What is that famous verse that... Um, Um, you know, Paritranaya Sadhana. He has to deliver the sadhus. Do <coughs> I have a cold here? That's the only one. So, Paritranaya um, <coughs> Trana uh, means to deliver. And Pari, completely, Pari. Is a Greek peri, like perimeter, around. So, um. So in um, in Sanskrit, the prefix peri, which is just Greek peri, same word, around is the way of saying completely or fully, like all around. And so, paritrana means uh, complete salvation, complete delivery. So, Parichanaya Sadhunam, for the deliverance of the sadhus, Vinashaya Chadushkritam, and for the destruction or just removing of the literally evildoers. Evildoers. A doer, which you saw in Spanish, duro in German? Doer? Doer? No, doer, D U R. Like hard Spanish is duro. Anyway, so um, to douche crit, crit, the verb crit, cre, in Sanskrit we still have in English, and the word create, same, it's called the creator. In, Creeren. Huh? Creeren. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Increase, crecer. So, to remove the evildoers and dharma sankstapanartaya, to establish, fully establish dharma, dharma sankstapanartaya. Some of the yuge yuge appear in every yuga. So the paritranaya, uh, the, the um, vinashaya tadushkadam, so Krishna came, he physically removed a lot of people. Even beginning Vrindavan as a child. Uh, you want to show me that big snake that you walk in here on 4th Street or something? So, Agasura, all these different Asuras came, and uh, in, in amazing ways, Krishna killed them. And it's an amazing pastime, right? He uh, punched Keshi Demon, right? Punched the Keshi Demon right in the mouth and then inflated his hand. Amazing weapon. And, um, the, uh, was it Denukasura? And those guys who threw it up in palm trees. Tala. Talavan. Tala means palm tree. Agasura. He just walked right into his mouth. Or the, no, the, the uh, yeah, he let it swallow and then he. So, in all these amazing, playful ways, Krishna killed all these demons. And then, when Krishna left Vrindavan, uh, he just sort of got down to regular military stuff, armies and, you know, sort of conventional weapons and so on, and killed all these demons. He killed huge numbers of demons. If you if you do the math, in the Bhagavatam, uh, every time Jarasandha came to Mathura, to attack Mathura, he came 18 times. The 18th time Krishna let him have this town and then he um, took everybody to Dwarka, but the but 17 times Krishna killed his army and there were more soldiers in each army of Jarasandha than, than all the people that were killed at Kurukshetra. If you actually look at the numbers. A large number of people is a major demographic adjustment. And so... And so the word astra, astra, uh, weapon, Missile. So, so it's, it's poignantly stated in the 11th chapter of the Bhagavatam that when Krishna appears in this age, his astra, his weapons, are his anga, his, his limbs, and upanga. Upa, 
sort of like junior limbs. In other words, his devotees, Upa, by the way, we still have in English, uh, Upa is the, uh, through Greek, is the English hypo. Is it hypothermia or something? Uh, the Greek, the Greek spelled it H-Y-P-O, and the H was silent, so it's actually Upa, same word, Upa. And Upa means, um, well, I'm not going into all the grammatical details. Anyway, Upa uh, means, could mean like sort of a, a junior version of something, like the junior Puranas are called the Upa Puranas, <coughs> or the junior Vedas are called the Upa Vedas, and uh, often a younger brother, like, like the way you say kid brother in Sanskrit, is it's a brother's name plus Upa, like for example, there's Indra, then Indra's kid brother is Upendra. Upa Indra, sort of like Kid Indra, or Junior Indra, who's a Vamana, of course, Lord Vamana. So anyway, this uh, Sanskrit Upa is the Greek Upo, same word, the Greeks just like to umla things, and then, um, and then it becomes our word hypo, like hypothermia, like not enough heat. I thought you'd enjoy that. Just one more, and then I'll get back to Lord Chaitanya. Another Sanskrit prefix, which we have through Greek and English today, the Sanskrit sun, S-A-M, like sun kirtan, which literally means together kirtan, like everybody together, and like gazamta. And, uh, and then in uh, Greek, they again umlauted it because they just like to pucker their mouth up, I guess. So, so they pronounce the sun as sun, which is spelled S-Y-N. That's like in synthesis, the together thesis. All right. After that little linguistic interlude, we'll go back to it. So, Lord Chaitanya. Lord Chaitanya appears in this age, Sangupangastra Parshada. His, his Parshada, his associates, his parshada, literally those at his side. His associates um, are his weapons. So the devotees, the devotees are the Lord's weapons. And as we know in this age, Krishna doesn't kill people's bodies because it'd just be a big mess. Because in this age, in this age, it's just everyone is so clueless that it would just be like, yeah. It's almost like legally, if some you can show someone's legally insane or retarded or something, you know, then you don't punish them the same way. So people are so clueless, so crazy in this age that it's almost like on those grounds, you know, practically you can almost plead insanity for the almost for most of the human population now. So, uh, therefore, Krishna very mercifully comes as Lord Chaitanya. Now, and so yagya or sankirtan prayar. So, by sacrifices, yagya, which are principally sankirtan, sankirtan prayar, yajanti isumedasa. Yajanti, of course, is a verb for yagya. So, so it's by sacrifices, principally. Sankirtan, those who are intelligent and say sacrifice to him or worship him. Yajanti Sumedasa. Sumedasa, good intelligence. So, um, now a question can be raised. As we know, we also learned from the Chaitanya Charitamrita that Lord Chaitanya has an internal and an external purpose in coming. And um, the internal purpose is to experience the love of Radharani. And that's described here in the Adi Lila, where Krishna was wondering what every, like his boyfriend sometimes wonders, and that is, you know, what, is, what does she see in me? And so Krishna came as Lord Chaitanya to experience the love of Radharani. She came you know, Radha Baba in, in the mood of Radha Rani. The external purpose was to deliver the fallen souls of Kali Yuga. So, 
It seems to me the obvious question here would be, first of all, why, why would Krishna perform such an intimate pastime of experiencing Radharani's love, this is the most intimate love of God, why did it in Kali Yuga, in this creepy age, when everything's just so gross and uh, out of control? After all, Krishna could very easily experience Radharani's love in the spiritual world. He hardly needs to come down to the Kali Yuga, to this world, to do that. He could easily do that in the spiritual world. And also you'd think that, just like, for example, we always learn that we shouldn't uh, explain most intimate things to fallen people or unappreciative people. So why engage in that process of experiencing Radharani's love in the nastiest age? First of all, why come to the material, material world at all to do it? It can easily be done in the spiritual world. And if you're coming to this world, why do it in the Kali Yuga? And so there is an answer, of course. And um, the answer is very simple that it's in the mood of Radharani that Krishna doesn't kill the fallen souls of this age, but actually just saves them. The reason Krishna comes to this world to experience Radharani's mood is because her infinite compassion is needed for the fallen souls of this age. So... Krishna, of course, explained to the Bhagavad Gita Nanavaptimavaptavyam that I, there's nothing I seek, there's nothing I desire. Krishna is completely Krishna conscious, being the founder of the original founder of the Krishna movement. And so, it's not like he wants to come to earth just for, for some vanity or egoism, like I want to experience someone loving me for some vain reason. But ultimately, uh, in the mood of Radharani, Krishna, it's really for our sake. It's for our sake that Krishna chose to experience Radharani's love in, in, in this world, in this age. Because it's, it's, it's her compassion that really saves our necks. It's really her compassion. And therefore, Lord, in Goda, like we were you know, singing Goda, Goda, so that's uh, why Krishna appears in that color of Radharani. Like in that verse, Tapta Kancha, Tapta Gaurangi. Yeah, that uh, Tapta, Tapta means melted, like Tapasya. That's a wonder. Like Tapas, Tapas literally means heat. Tapas means austerity. Tapas, Tapas literally means heat. Like there's a verse in the Bhagavatam uh, where Krishna says, Suryas tapati madmaya, the sun is heating the world out of fear of me. And so, in fact, uh, tapana means the sun. There's a song of Bhakti Vatankar, tapana rupe, Krishna, the form of the sun, is now rising in the heart of the soul. So, tap means to heat, and uh, tapta, what it means like melted, molten, tapta kanchana, molten gold, tapta kanchana gorangi. Anga, of course, means limb. Gorangi means having golden limbs or gora limbs. So, tapta kanchana gorangi. So Radharani is gorangi, and then Krishna comes to Goranga. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, tapta kanchana gorangi. Radhe Vrindavaneshwari. Radharani is Vrindavaneshwari, the Lord, mistress of Vrindavan. And uh, so by her blessing, we can enter Vrindavan, we can enter the spiritual world. Because she is Vrindavaneshwari. So, um, Any question on these points? Yes? I was thinking about just how, like all these sinful activities that 
take people downward and so on. And at the same time, Lord Chaitanya is here, and even if people don't take to Krishna consciousness, sometimes they hear the Hare Krishna movement and so on. And somehow, just not that I was really looking at this so in much in depth, but there's a lot of people that are intrigued by afterlife and they have out-of-body experiences and they experience these, this beautiful white light and pleasant things and all this kind of stuff and more than likely they're not so virtuous and I'm, of course we read that if you do too many bad things you don't get a very good result and is there any kind of connection that people are getting? Why are you asking, why, are, why do sinful people have these sublime near-death experiences? Well I was wondering if there's any connection just to the fact that what Chaitanya said foot on this earth and it makes yeah. it an amazingly powerful Once practice. I was walking with Prabhupada in Rancho Park in L.A. and Rancho Park? Venice Beach. No, Venice Beach. And uh, when Prabhupada used to go on his walks, uh, there was always a certain class of devotees that would want to bring Prabhupada the latest, most shocking, horrific news of Kali Yuga. It was like, somehow there's this mood that the more we can discover and point out the absurd depravity of this age, the more obvious it is that everyone needs Krishna. So, as you probably commenting these things, like now there's a, there's a, uh, hospital just for alcoholic priests or something. Which is very surprising if there's only one. Or I mean so, so there are all kinds of stories like the people that bring stories like like those of priests married to homosexuals or so the devotees would they would kind of like try to imagine, I don't know, if some you know, someone was eating babies. They would just they would just try to bring these they would try to bring things that they felt would shock Prabhupada. And so, uh, so I remember one time we were walking to Venice Beach, and um, of course, I mean, technically, some things are getting worse and some things are getting better. So sometimes we sort of have this pop culture history take on things. That just, uh, but actually, some things really are getting better. Of course, because Lord Chaitanya has come to this world, but. One time we were walking in Venice Beach and a brahmachari, a young brahmachari, Buddhist came to Prabhupada and said something like, Prabhupada. It's, uh, it's funny, the American pronunciation, you drop the B-H, it's just Prabhupada. You know, P-R-A-U, Prabhupada. <laughs> Prabhupada, Jai Prabhupada. So, <laughs> anyway, so the brahmachari came up and said, Prabhupada. Uh, these Americans are so demonic and this and that and the other thing. And Prabhupada stopped him and said, he said, no, uh, they're not bad. They're good people. They're, they're just ignorant. They're innocent. You have, to, you have to enlighten them. You have to teach them. So, um, and then, another walk speaking to a, in Germany actually speaking to a theologian and this theologian was kind of an Indophile and he really liked India and so he was telling Prabhupada how yeah you know the East is it's like this East-West thing you know the mystic East so cool and he didn't use that word but he was incredible so he was a uh, he was just talking to Prabhupada about, and so Prabhupada stopped him and said, no, he said, it's not a question of East or West. In, in the East, there, in India, there are some bad people. Some people are bad, some people are good. And in the West, some people are good, and some people are bad. So, I mean, personally, sometimes there's sort of an attitude that all the culture comes from India, and in the West, we just, we just write the checks. You know, we just sort of... They, you know, pay for things and fix the computers or something. But of course, even now, things are better at that. So, but actually, if you if you look at things objectively, obviously, some things in India are much more quote-unquote Vedic, and some things in the West are obviously much more Vedic. For example, there's much more law and order here. There's much more 
I mean, not certainly not. I can't say the government's honest, but it, it, there's much more straightforward dealing. Where, you know, like in third world countries, if you want a driver's license, you go into the office and you pass the test and pay the fee. It's like, what does that have to do with it? That that just sort of qualifies you to pay me a bribe. It doesn't it doesn't mean you get the service. It just means that now we can talk about it. And so this typical third world mentality where your family is everything and your friends and everybody else is nothing. Whereas, it's one of the symptoms actually of third world countries sociologically, whereas in, in more developed societies uh, there's a very strong sense of public. In other words, uh, why do you water your lawn or paint your house? Because otherwise you're you're uh, just creating some, uh, something unpleasant for the public. I mean, we I mean, have a very strong sense that it matters, the public matters. Whereas in third world countries, the sense of public is very much diminished. It's almost nothing. I mean, I mean the public, they're nothing. Therefore, you can just throw trash on the street because, because the public is nothing. In Switzerland, if you throw trash on the street, people start probably fainting right on the sidewalk there. The national crisis. Anyway, so, but that's, so So there are, in, in the West, there are many things which are much more Vedic than in India. And obviously, and that's why so many Indians come here, frankly. I mean, a lot more Indians come to the West than vice versa. On the other hand, obviously in India, there are many things which are much more Krishna conscious, like Krishna consciousness, in fact. <laughs> they worship Krishna. So, uh, as far as these near-death experiences and so on, everyone doesn't have them. It's not that everyone you know, has them, but... Krishna... Krishna is very merciful. And, you know, sometimes we mistranslate a verse that Prabhupada gave us to mean that uh, if someone's not a devotee, they have no good qualities. Did you hear that one? Yeah. That's actually a mistranslation, by the way. So I'll tell you what the verse actually says in Sanskrit. It's, um, Yasyasti Bhaktir Bhagavati Akinchana, one who has pure devotion for the Lord. Yasyasti Bhaktir Bhagavati Akinchana. Sarvair Gunaisthatra Samasate Sura, literally, so like approaches to demig the gods. Uh, with all good qualities, that person approaches the gods. Who is like the gods, with all, with all good qualities. Harava Bhaktasya, one who is not devoted to the Lord. Harava Bhaktasya Kuto How can such a person have the qualities of great souls? It doesn't say that no qualities, it simply says. Kuto, how can that person have the qualities of great souls? That person is simply chasing Maya and so on. So, now if you look at the Bhagavad Gita, if you look at the Bhagavad Gita, okay, when I say three, right, look at one, two, three. Okay, now you all looked at the Bhagavad Gita. But if you, if, you, if, you, if you read the Bhagavad Gita, what you find is that in the material world, you can be happy to the extent there is. I mean, Krishna says this world is Dukaliyam, place of misery, but he also talks about a type of happiness in this world, which obviously is there. It's not ultimate permanent happiness, but there's a kind of happiness in this world. So Krishna says in this world that you can be happy and wise, wise, and be elevated. You can be upward bound. You know, you can be elevated in your next life, and you can do all that without Krishna. I'll explain that, actually. I'll prove that to you in the Gita. You can't go. You can't go to Krishna without Krishna, obviously. Fortunately, the good news here is that unlike some somewhat twisted conceptions coming out of the Middle East, 
Krishna is not a jealous God. Krishna is not a jealous God. Now, in the Bhagavad Gita, it's clearly said, repeatedly in the Bhagavad Gita, that the mode of goodness, sattva guna, uh, for example, Krishna says, tasmat sattvam nirmalatvat, the mode of goodness has the quality of nirmala, like the Bhagavatam is called the amala purana, mala means filth or dirt in Sanskrit, so amala or nirmala, same thing. So Krishna says the mode of goodness is nirmala. It is free of gross contamination. Nirmala uh, So because it is free of gross contamination, therefore uh, prakashakam, it is enlightening. Prakash, that's what, that's what the word prakashakam means. It is enlightening. The mode of goodness is enlightening. It doesn't give the highest... But, for example, the mode of goodness, the person realizes I'm not this body person realizes all living beings are equal, I shouldn't discriminate, I shouldn't hate anyone. I mean, that's, that's wisdom. Animal rights, and so on and so forth. So that, that's certainly a kind of wisdom. And that's what that's the word Krishna uses, prakashakam. You know this word prakash. Everyone in India knows the word prakash. So prakashakam, enlightening and anamaya. Amaya in Sanskrit means disease or contamination, and it, it's free. It, 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 the mode of goodness is anamaya. For example, in Sanskrit, if you, if you uh, meet someone, like in English, you say, hey, how are you doing? He gave this dear. So, so the, or, como estas? The, I mean, the way, the way you would say that in Sanskrit, the way you say in Sanskrit, how are you doing? You see this a lot in the Bhagavatam, is, anamaya. Like, no problems? Everything okay? So that's the word anamaya. This is the word Krishna uses in the Gita about the mode of goodness. It's prakasha kamana anamaya. However, Krishna says, sukha sangena badnati. Because it is the material mode of goodness, it binds you by attachment to that happiness. Sukha sangena badnati. Jnana sangena. And you become attached to the wisdom that comes from goodness. But still, there is a kind of material wisdom and happiness. And Krishna says also in the Gita, Urdhvanga Chanti Sattva Sta. Those standing in Sattva, Sta, Sanskrit, English, stand, stand. So it's uh, those standing in goodness go upward. They're elevated. And then in chapter 14. 17, I forget the three months of nature. Krishna says, Yajante Satvika Devan. Those in the mode of goodness worship the demigod. Devan, plural accusative, worship the gods. Or sacrifice to the gods. So according to, according to Bhagavad Gita, people, although Krishna says, of course, that uh, that those who worship the gods are really bewildered. They're actually bewildered. They're actually worshiping me, but irregularly, literally. So, it's not the right thing to do. It doesn't produce any permanent result. You can't get your eternal reward. But, from the material point of view, you can be wise, happy, and elevated, and not worship Krishna. So the idea that anyone who's not worshiping Krishna is just like a low-down... Yellow belly, lily liver, sap sucking. So it's, you know, is uh, anyone that doesn't worship Krishna is a demon, is, um, it's not the Bhagavad Gita, it's not at all what Krishna says in the Gita. Nor does Krishna say that someone who's not in the mode of goodness can't have any good qualities. In fact, people in the mode of goodness can't have any good qualities. And they do, I mean, they obviously do. Sometimes they're uh, more courteous than certain devotees. I mean, sometimes they can be very courteous, they can be thoughtful, compassionate, generous, and so on. And, of course, they worship God in their own way. So, um, it doesn't mean that they can't learn anything from Krishna consciousness. This is, as Krishna says, this is Raja Vidya, king of all knowledge. 
This is the perfection. This is the highest perfection. And yet, according to Bhagavad Gita, these people can have good qualities and they can have material wisdom and happiness and be elevated. And Krishna says that. And yet, they're worshiping demigods. So, uh, sort of an answer to your question, I use that as the, since I have this building pulpit. I, uh, So those that are virtuous on a material level, they have a certain group of qualities. Even if you're a devotee, or a good devotee, or a pure devotee, more or less, you have all those and then more. Well, it's a question of purifying the qualities. For example, someone may be in the mode of goodness, but if they don't worship Krishna, they're not, they're not acknowledging where everything is coming from. And they're still pursuing selfish ends. Maybe it may be a type of enlightened selfishness, but it's still selfishness. And they're not. What about the quality of gratitude? What about the quality of love? Of actually, or, or they obviously don't have the highest wisdom because they don't really understand the source of their own existence, nor to whom they owe everything. And so it's still a, from a Krishna conscious point of view, a very limited position. But it's not that they have no good qualities. For example, if people, I mean, the whole concept of gastrodrita, let's say someone comes to the restaurant here and really just likes being around devotees or, or, or gives a donation, not because they understand Krishna, but simply out of sort of a natural goodness. I mean, the fact that there is a political system or a legal system in this country and other countries that allows us to practice Krishna consciousness, that defends our rights. So, when, when someone receives the highest knowledge, it's very tempting to become arrogant. Very tempting. Because after all, we're conditioned souls. If someone here is not a conditioned soul, is a completely pure soul, then uh, you can raise your hand and we'll acknowledge you. <laughs> Otherwise, we, we, are, we are conditioned souls, and what is our conditioning? It's, it's like, let's say, if you really like to eat, if you're really into eating, and then you discover prasadam, you take to Krishna consciousness, you, uh, you go at it, doing what you really do best. So, so if we the idea is that when you become a devotee, when you become a devotee, it doesn't mean that you don't really like to enjoy eating. It just means that you now eat prasada. So in the same way, if we have within us, as we obviously do, still some vanity or pride, I mean, we're not free of those things. Then. When we are given the highest knowledge, uh, we sort of dovetail our vanity and our, and our pride, if you can call it dovetailing. We just, it definitely appeals to that sense of superiority. And that's the disease of the conditioned soul. So the one thing we really need to, I think we should be talked about more, is how do you appreciate the fact that this is the highest knowledge? In the name of humility, one should not relativize what is absolute. So how do we actually appreciate this knowledge without letting it go to our heads and becoming arrogant? And realizing the fact that Krishna's the greatest doesn't mean I'm the greatest. And that was the problem, frankly. This arrogance of thinking that I've got the highest culture destroyed Vedic culture. That was the fatal flaw. As we know, uh, the collapse of Vedic culture and Kali Yuga, as the Shastra and Prabhupada clearly explained, were due to the arrogance of the so-called Brahmins. Little, you know, the original Vedic juvenile delinquent, Shringi, who cursed Maharaj Pariksit. So 
this brahminical arrogance of thinking everyone else is just, you know, nothing, low class, is uh, actually brought on a Kali Yuga. So the extent to which we are arrogant and just really, because of our conditioned nature, is like to think we're better than everybody else, we're just perpetuating the Kali Yuga instead of eradicating it. So it's something that, that we need to work on. And it can manifest, anyway. I go on forever, this is my rap song. So it's, um, it's Mahaprabhu, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the great Lord Mahaprabhu, appeared today. And uh, he said, this is probably the scariest of all the Sikh Shastra verses. Chanada pisuni chena tarori vasahishnana. Once you feel oneself more fallen than the we will probably translate it poetically strong the street. Trina. Blade of grass. The word trina, trinada pi. There's a demon, you know, the uh, the grass demon, Trinavarta. Actually that uh, Trinavarta demon, the way you say a um whirlwind. The, the, the way the way you say whirlwind in Sanskrit is uh, grass whirler. So Chinavarta is uh, the grass whirler, cyclone, demon, or whatever. And uh, God, this. Nowadays, like there's a hurt on like a cyclone, they show pictures of like a truck on top of a building or something. And just thinking back then, you got a picture of a chariot on top of a palace or something. So, Chaitanya uh, Mahaprabhu says, Chanada P. Sunicha, Sunichena. Even lower than the straw or the grass. Tarori Vasanishtana, more tolerant than the tree. I always thought this was very frightening because like people carve their initials on trees. Like, oh my god, it's like the image of standing there while someone's carving their initials on you. But I don't think that's what Lord Chaitanya meant. So, of course, the tree is, um, you know, stands out in the rain, it, it just tolerates everything. Like, here we are, safe and toasty inside the temple right now, and there's a tree right there. <laughs> so, but more tolerant than the tree. Amanina, without conceit. The word mana, there's a Sanskrit verb, man, like manas, mind, man means to think. So mana means sort of like thinking highly of yourself. So Lord Chaitanya says, Amanina, by one who has no mana, no self-conceit. Mana dena, but gives that honor to others. Kirtaniya sadharis. That Hari literally is always to be chanted and glorified by one who is humble like that. So we have to recognize, you know, we have to be good gardeners. There's an example that Lord Chaitanya gave in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. We have our devotional, that whole botanical metaphor, where there's the Bhakti Lata, the devotional creeper. And uh, as you know, when you water your plants, you're also watering the weeds. And so it's interesting that as we advance in Krishna consciousness, where we can also be watering the weeds. As it, it's you know, there's these automatic shut-off devices in bhakti yoga to to make sure we really become purified. Because if I'm humble, I make advancement, and then I become proud of the fact that I was humble. And you can see it's just um, it's like an automatic shut-off device. Or let's say in ISKCON we you know we appreciate a devotee who works hard, has good character. So we can practice or cultivate certain virtues or work hard, really wanting that approval and praise from other people, right? Because I know that if I if I behave in certain ways people around me will praise me and appreciate me. And that can become a motivation. So Lord Chaitanya said, there's all these weeds. There, there really are all these weeds. And uh, we have to be good gardeners. 
like that, that saying, doctor, heal thyself. If we're always just trying to tell everybody else what they're doing wrong, and not really being seriously introspective, then we'll just become the typical obnoxious religious hypocrites that the world can't stand. So advice now is we really have to, well, you have to all become humble. I'm not really seriously considering myself. <laughs> Tell me how it feels. <laughs> so, so Lord Chaitanya came, and um, we have to we have to go with him. We have to we have to we have to just completely dedicate ourselves to Lord Chaitanya's mission. Actually, I'd like to thank uh, the devotees here and Sandami for talking about. Who's uh, such a great, is such a great example of a dedicated devotee, and uh, I'm grateful for the hospitality here. So this is a, this is a very nice community, actually, and uh, I think a lot of the credit goes to Sandamani of uh, selflessly serving. So that's really what, what we want to cultivate that that mood of selfless service. Chaitanya came to save us, teach us. Any, so any other question? If not, um, that's called the punya ratsi, the materials of the papa ratsi. Papa means sin, punya piety. <laughs> the punya ratsi. So, uh, another question? So we'll stop here for now. Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai, Shri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu Ki Jai.